Sidekick on the air. It is Thursday night, March 18th, the year of our Lord, 2021. A lot of round ball going on in the world. I understand that, but that doesn't mean that we can't still have a jam-packed show of college football here. You listen at your convenience. Could be tonight, could be tomorrow morning. But what we have to say, I think is pretty consequential. We have got, as I said, a jam-packed show. We're going all over the country. We've got Big Ten spring questions. A lot of you have asked about that. Why haven't we done it already? Some of the spring camps are starting a little bit later up there. It tends to get warmer a little bit later in Big Ten country than it does in the South. So we're going to touch on that tonight ad nauseum. The dead period, that recruiting dead period, we have sort of beaten that drum for a little while. Expected maybe it could end on May 31st. Looks for all the world now like it will end on May 31st. Now, that is kind of a rubber stamp at this point. But what does it mean? Because it's very important and it's disproportionate. It's not a big deal to Alabama could be a huge deal to a program like Auburn or Florida State or Texas. And so a number of programs, a number of players are going to be impacted by this. Shane Beamer's future. I don't know why. I think it's because of the interview Brandon Marcello did with him that we put up on the YouTube channel. It was a big feature on 247sports.com. And a lot of you have asked about him. And it's a weird thing right now. Shane Beamer's never been a head coach a day in his life, college level, obviously. And yet it seems like a lot of people are already decided one way or the other how they think it's going to pan out for him, which is atypical. Normally, if a a new head coach is on the block, even even, even his own fan base takes a little while before they decide one way or the other. But Shane Beamer is kind of weird. So a lot of people have been asking about him. I have some things to say about him tonight. We're also going to re-crank up the Mood Tracker segment, and we're talking about Penn State football. And I also meant to tell you the other night, so let me put it out there now. The next Late Kick Show Owners Association meeting we do as always, will depend on you. But the benchmark we want to hit this time, it's not going to be Twitter. This time, we're looking for, I think it's 2,000. When we get to 2,000 followers on the Instagram account, which is at Late Kick Josh, Josh Pate, you know my name. You can find me on there. When we get to 2,000 there, that's when we'll line up the next Late Kick Show Owners Association meeting. So with all the housekeeping out of the way, let's dive in. Let's talk some college football tonight. Let's head to the Big Ten. Biggest spring questions in the Big Ten. Boy, it's a loaded spring. I don't know what the fall is going to look like, but there are a lot of places that we can go in the Big Ten. I had to whittle this down to one, two, three, four, but I had like eight or nine. And so there are a lot of sub-questions that we could work off here. But how about Michigan? So I think this is the most interesting question in the entire conference this spring, and it will obviously extend into this fall. The whole quarterback dynamic there, we recently had a transfer come in, but I think a lot of folks up there assume that the main two players in this battle are going to end up being, in no particular order, J.J. McCarthy, five-star incoming freshman. And then you've also got, obviously, Cade McNamara, who played last year. He didn't start the season. It was Joe Milton's season. And then Cade McNamara takes over, and Joe Milton's no longer there. But Cade McNamara, he didn't put up Heisman numbers or anything like that. But I'll tell you what he did. He did put up a Heisman number in the turnover category. Didn't have many of those, did he? So Cade McNamara's got the advantage of having been there. J.J. McCarthy's obviously probably got the talent edge. So the biggest question to me about Michigan in the spring is the validation aspect. He's not a junior, he being J.J. McCarthy. It's not a guy returning. And so obviously, you want to validate everything. You want to make sure that all the boxes you think are checked, even as a fan or obviously as a coach, when you were recruiting him, when you were watching his recruitment, we, when I was sitting here watching his recruitment, there's a lot I think I know about him. We want to make sure that's accurate. And so you get J.J. McCarthy on campus, you You find out really quickly what you have from a physical perspective, but then you start to measure that whole neck up perspective and how quickly is he going to be able to grasp our offense here. A lot of, I think, the misconception around the quarterback position is if you guys were to be able to watch spring practice, you'd watch J.J. McCarthy rip one 30 yards on a line across the middle, split two defenders, and it's touchdown pass. And if you were to just be able to see that clip 
if it were to make it out there on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, you would watch that and you'd say, oh my goodness, J.J. McCarthy's the guy. Because there's no way McNamara is making that throw. There's no other quarterback on campus that makes that throw. I don't know if there's another one in the Big Ten that makes that throw. All that could be true. But that's not what you're looking for as a coach. Coaches watch you and they want to see you rep it and rep it and rep it until you can't get it wrong. Whereas if you were to watch it from a purely fan's point of view, you think the guy's ready when he does it right one time. And that's not necessarily what you're looking for here. So here's the way I view this whole thing. No one's deciding a quarterback battle, obviously, in the spring at Michigan. But what they are going to be able to figure out, to a certain degree at least, is how much are we going to have to work uphill in the fall? So what I mean by that, before we move on, is is our battle, if I'm the Michigan coaching staff, if I'm Josh Gaddis and Jim Harbaugh, and I'm looking at J.J. McCarthy and Cade McNamara, I know what I have in McNamara, but with McCarthy, when we get to the fall, is this going to be purely a physical competition or is it going to be physical and mental? Because if I get J.J. McCarthy in the fall and his head's still swimming, that's a little bit different story. I'm probably not trusting my job on the shoulders of a true freshman who I can't trust from the neck up. If he grasps it mentally, sky's the limit for J.J. McCarthy, really even in his true freshman season. How about Ohio State? I know a lot's going to be written about the quarterback position, but we've already talked about Ohio State's quarterbacks here. The secondary, really the defense as a whole, but specifically the secondary at Ohio State, got to be better. I know there's a misleading stat. Well, it's not really misleading. you got to contextualize it. There's a stat floating around out there. If you're a Buckeye fan, you've probably heard it 100 times by now. They allowed, I think it's 304 passing yards per game last year. Okay, that's the most in program history. Now, here's the context. A lot of defenses are giving up the most passing yards per game that they've given up in program history. Offense is just different these days. That's not how you judge how bad Ohio State secondary was last year. What you do is you say, how did they measure up against the rest of FBS? And therein lies the problem, friends, because Ohio State secondary was horrible, even by comparative FBS standards last year. What's the number? 122nd in FBS. The total pass defense last year, not going to cut it. Ohio, there's no reason because Ohio State can, can choose. They can pick and choose defensive back talent from all across the country. They did not have a premier cover corner last year. A lot of hope when Jeff Okuda left was that Sean Wade could fill that spot. He didn't. That just wasn't, that wasn't his wheelhouse. And so seven banks, like, is that my guy this year? And I've also got Cam Brown coming back from an Achilles injury. It's not even stopping there. I mean, I got to get free safety figured out. So there's a lot to happen. No, there's been an elevation at the coaching position in the secondary. So we've had some reshuffling of the coaching chairs. There's a lot of talent to shuffle around and mix and match and figure out in Columbus, too. How about going back to the quarterback position, though, at Penn State? Sean Clifford. What version of Sean Clifford am I getting this year? Because last year is a total wipe. No one has a problem admitting that in Happy Valley. In fact, no one has a problem embracing that there. They just assume, pretend like 2020 never happened. But I want to know specifically the answer to the question this year that we were also asking this time last year. Now, as it turns out, we weren't going to find out because we didn't have spring last year. But remember last year when everyone was all excited, because I was at least excited about the prospect of Sean Clifford working with a new offensive coordinator. At that point, it was Kurt Sharaka, and you saw what he had done at Minnesota, and he's going to come in, and he's going to do that, but he's probably going to have a little bit better talent in the stable at Penn State. Never got off the ground. Totally fizzled. The wood was wet. Fill in whatever metaphor you want to use. So he's out. Tom Urich is in. This is an offense that quarterbacks love to play in now. So Sean Clifford has that going for him. But I look around and I think this is like the third or the fourth offense in four or five years. And so you got a lot of veterans. This offense is not really green and full of a lot of young guys. 
they're they've got guys, whether it be Clifford or whether it be guys on the offensive line or out wide, they got guys that have been around the block. It's not the most talented unit in the country, but they could be very, very much in the upper echelon of the Big Ten if everything clicks. That's the if. But at least we get spring this year. Like there's a lot. If you think about 2021 with Penn State, there's a lot we get this year that maybe we didn't get last year. You do have a bunch of veterans that have gone through it a time or two. I don't really worry about them having to grasp the nuances of a new system. You've got Sean Clifford. So at the very least, you have experience at quarterback, not necessarily a Heisman contender at quarterback, but experience there. You've got a new offensive coordinator, which could be an upgrade by default. And here's the most important part, all caps, S-P-R-I-N-G. We finally get spring. Last year, man, if you were bringing in a new coordinator and then you got spring taken from you, not very many teams made that work. It wasn't just a Penn State problem. Not very many teams made that work. So if I'm Sean Clifford, I love this offense. Now i got to find out if I click in this offense. And how about Indiana? We don't talk Indiana football a lot here. And they're replacing a basketball coach right now. But my goodness, could they be good again offensively this year? And I want you to think about this because my question going into spring, coming out of spring, going into fall about Indiana will be a lot more about whether they have that staying power. Last year, they snuck up on a lot of people. No one went into the preseason saying, Indiana, my team to watch. Or if you did, you deserve a ribbon. This year, a lot of people will say that. And there's good reason. Because I don't think Tom Allen's going to have you know, a lot of flux in the mental and, and stability over all of his program, those aspects. But think about what they have coming back. So Michael Penix is the star quarterback there, going to be out for spring. But that's okay because they've got insane depth at the quarterback spot. They got Jack Tuttle, who was able to step in last year and who is a former four-star guy from Utah. Like he's able, if he needs to be, to be your starter wire to wire. But we get to find out about the depth overall at that quarterback position. Wide receiver and tight end looks really good for them. It measures up favorably with a lot of the other big-time units at those positions in the Big Ten and beyond. Offensive line's got a ton of experience. Running back is probably the biggest question mark offensively for them. But the overall team profile is what I'm talking about. Because you know as well as I do, you see these teams come to the table sometimes like they're starving and they're grabbing that last piece of bread. But then if you get your fill one year and you come back to the table the next year, you have that exact same mentality. Do you have the drool all over your shirt again? Are you every bit as rabid as you were the year before? Listen, I would bet my money yes on Indiana. That team profile, more than any position, that team profile, that's probably my biggest question about Indiana this year, at least when it comes to spring practice. The dead period is about to lift. Let's talk about this. The NCAA recruiting dead period. We've been talking about this a long time. Uh, You know my thoughts on how I thought this was extended way too long, and it was irresponsibly done. There was a way to responsibly do this. Be that as it may, it looks like from various reports, this dead period is going to lift at least somewhat, at the end of May. So again, this is in a lot of ways a rubber stamp. This is what we expected. When it got extended a couple of three weeks ago now, we expected it to expire May 31st, which kind of therein lies my problem with all of this. It's, it's been easy to see coming at every turn, which shows you there's not a lot of day-to-day foresight in this. I know this adage is getting kind of old, but it's just kind of kicking or maybe punting the can down the road. Can's pretty beat up now. But I've said my piece. I've spoken my piece on that. So let's talk about what this means now. And why is this so big? Because you may have looked at the recruiting rankings when we did our National Signing Day show, and you may go look at them right now, and you may say, looks the same as it always does. It doesn't really look like anyone got impacted. No, at the top, the usual suspects didn't get impacted. More on that in a second. So consider the timeline here. 
it looks like if May 31st is uh, the thawing period, then June and July are going to be open. That will mean at that point, 14 months have gone by with no in-person contact, in-person visits of any kind. That means no coaches have been in homes. No players have been on campus, at least to meet with coaches. There have been no camps. Therefore, there have been no in-person evaluations. And what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean a whole lot for the impact on Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, even Oklahoma. Like Those programs were fine. You notice on signing day, Georgia, they were all there. The usual suspects were all there. There are a few major programs conspicuous in their absence, but you probably had to dig a little bit in order to really have that stand out to you. As has been the case with the way COVID has impacted the sport of college football at several different levels, the impact is felt by everyone, but it's very disproportionate. One of the laziest takes as we've gotten further and further into this thing and hopefully coming out of it now and to somewhat a sense of normalcy in the sporting world, a lot of people have looked at this and said, you can't use COVID as an excuse because everyone's dealt with it. No, 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 no. That's not true. On the surface, it's true. Everyone's had to deal with it. I'm not asking who's dealt with it. I'm asking how people have been impacted by it. Hey, if you got it and I didn't, for example, or I got it and you didn't, we got impacted disproportionately, but we've both lived in a society where we had to deal with it. Well, think about that times like 500 when you're dealing with an organization. It impacts you disproportionately. And the way that it impacts the recruiting world disproportionately is if you've got that big established brand name and you were also able to get a big head start on scouting kids when they were sophomores and juniors, when it came to this 2021 class, it wasn't a big deal for Alabama. I mean, sure, Nick Saban would have liked to have been out on the road. He would have liked to have been in-person evaluating, but Zoom was fine. It worked just fine for them. It worked just fine for Kirby Smart. It worked fine for Ryan Day. They already had the infrastructure for the 2021 class in place. Here's who it hurt. Can you imagine being Mike Norvell at Florida State? Can you imagine coming in and then saying, I'm about to change the culture here at Florida State. This is a goldmine of an opportunity. There's talent all over the place. It's just that the culture's a little bit rotted on the inside. So we got to turn that inside out. But once we do that, and we're going to do it with elite recruiting, once we do that, we'll be good. And then, no, Mike, the world just got turned upside down. And so this is going to be the least of your concerns, relatively speaking. But as it pertains to recruiting, there will be no in-person anything. And none of these kids know you. You haven't gotten your coaching staff in front of any of them. But yet the sport's not going to stop. We're still going to have a recruiting period. We're still going to have a signing day. We're just going to take away every angle that you could possibly navigate to try and salvage a good class. What was Mike Norvell supposed to do? You know, what's like Brian Harson? I know he's a little bit newer at Auburn, but what were those guys supposed to do? Shane Beamer at South Carolina, like they're just now looking down the tunnel and they see this light. And for Ryan Day, again, at Ohio State, that just means they can return to normal. For Mike Norvell at FSU or for Sark, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, a lot of these new coaches, if you were just hired within the last year, this is going to be the first time that kids have spoken to you in person. The first time kids have gotten on campus in a lot of cases, period, but especially campus under your watch. It's like you're starting from scratch. And so it's major for Auburn. It's major for South Carolina, Florida State, uh, Michigan State. I mean, think about Mel Tucker. Think about Josh Heupel at Tennessee, where there's already an uphill battle on several fronts. This was just going to be another one. So we get this out of the way. And again, you notice there's not really a lot of shock in my tone. It was not a big deal. This was viewed as a formality, kind of a rubber stamp. But yet we get to June and July. There is, we don't believe in off seasons anyway around here, but for coaches, normally if you get to that June, July period where it's post spring 
It's pre-media days. This is when you head to the lake. This is when you head down to Destin or wherever you go for your vacation. Not this year. It doesn't look like that's the case this year. Now, the other thing to watch as we wrap this up is how does it evolve immediately? So on June 1st, what am I allowed to do? Am I allowed to have full in-person camps? I don't think that's going to be the case. I saw Pete Thamel of Yahoo reporting that's probably not going to be the case. What you'll probably have is, though, the ability to organize one-on-one workouts. I think that's probably you get a lot of kids on campus and you just have to spread them out so you don't have huge position groups around, uh, which is semantics at this point because you're able to accomplish what you need to accomplish. But this is a big deal for the 2022 kids, obviously. Just like the major programs didn't hurt. The major kids didn't hurt. If you had a four or five-star rating next to your name, you didn't go without offers that you wouldn't have gotten anyway. My question and my beef has been, what would happen if we had a Josh Jacobs in the 2021 class? Josh Jacobs went on to be an All-American at Alabama, first-round draft pick, but he didn't get discovered until really, really late into his senior year. What would have happened if there was a Josh? In fact, for all we know, there was a Josh Jacobs or two or five on the trail last year. We didn't even know about him. They fell through the cracks. What are they supposed to do? Send their tape out? There is no tape. What are they supposed to do? Go take a visit in January? They can't go anywhere. They can't do an in-person evaluation. So those are the kids who fell through the cracks. Watch the JUCO ranks. Watch the transfer portal. And then watch how active things get on the traditional recruiting trail when things finally thaw out in June and July. Let's kick it over to Columbia, South Carolina. I wanted to spend a couple of minutes on Shane Beamer here. I've got so many questions about him. Brandon Marcello is doing a series where he's talking to a lot of first-year head coaches, and those features have been prominently featured on 247sports.com. We put the Shane Beamer interview up on YouTube because there was such high demand for it, and it feels like full Tom Hanks mode over at South Carolina. You guys know if you watch the show, I'm all for using Tom Hanks metaphors whenever I can. I think we got a good one here. I'll get to it in just a second, but people are strangely already decided on Shane Beamer. What I mean by that is I have not read very many emails or DMs or any kind of correspondence I have with you guys where someone says, "Mm, I don't know. It's wait and see for me on Shane Beamer at like a five to one ratio for a guy who's never been a head coach. I either hear it's going to be a home run hire in time, or it's going to be a disaster. Everyone's got their mind made up. I am in the vast minority here because I'm sitting here twiddling my thumbs saying, You know, I think, and it's a radical strategy, but I think I'll probably just wait for the guy to coach a game or two or 10 or two years, maybe even, before I decide on him. This is not a fairy tale world. So what I'm going to do here is I want to set the realistic foundation. The odds are long for any head coach at South Carolina, Shane Beamer especially. It's going to be extremely difficult there. They are going to be fighting upstream at every turn. They're going to be at a roster disadvantage relative to several teams on their annual schedule, including their in-state rival, which is an out-of-conference game. All that is in place. All that's a reality. This is not a fairy tale. This is not something where you say, hey, 10 games first year, watch and see, not happening. What could happen, though? Because I think a lot of times, this time included, it's really easy to focus on what isn't there. What isn't there at South Carolina, in all likelihood, is the opportunity to just shock people in year one, to, to contend for the SEC East in year one. I don't know if Nick Saban could take over the program and do that. I mean, Saban took over Alabama and went seven and six his first year. So I don't expect much different from Shane Beamer. In fact, seven and six will probably be a good start. But let's just take a second, if you will, indulge me here. Instead of talking about what all isn't there, I do want to talk about some things that are there because I've spoken about this in the past. Carolina fans, for obvious reasons, they get on board with this. 
Some people who have gone to Carolina for games, they get on board. Most of you have not been to a game at Williams-Brice Stadium. Most of you have not spent a lot of time in Columbia, South Carolina. Because as much as everything I just said is reality on the negative side, you can change all those things. You know, the the difficulty, the roster disadvantage, uh, the perception, all that's in your control. So in a way, those are odds stacked against you, but the right coaching staff can turn those odds. But let me tell you what you do have at Carolina. What you do have at Carolina, I want you to think about this, is a head coach that views South Carolina football as a tier one destination job. That is not a true tier one destination job. We don't compare South Carolina with Ohio State. We don't compare them with Alabama. Shane Beamer does, though. It's very unique. Now, whether he ends up being the right guy for the job, obviously that's the chance that you take those are the dice you roll. But there are two programs right now that the rest of the country would not consider bona fide tier one destination jobs that the current head coaches do deem that. And that's Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech and that's Shane Beamer at South Carolina. What does that mean? Well, think about what it's like if they end up being the right guy. If you did catch the proverbial lightning in a bottle, you've got a guy who's never going to leave, and you got a guy who's willing not to go to the edge of the cliff, but over the cliff, and the entire program's following him for the brand that they represent, South Carolina, Georgia Tech. And so that is invaluable, very invaluable. Number two, and this is a very important thing to note, there is not a massive facilities gap they have to make up. The new head coach, when he was going to walk in the door, it ends up being Shane Beamer, It's not a situation where you look around and you say, man, Muschamp failed here. Obvious why. Look at this place. It's a dump. Carolina's really nice. Carolina's upgraded a lot of the things they need to upgrade. The infrastructure's there. In fact, that was part of the frustration with Will Muschamp. We gave you everything you said you needed to win, and then you didn't win. So we got to get a new guy in here. And once Shane Beamer walked in there, I don't know when the last time he had been back to Columbia was, but that place obviously had to have looked a lot different for the better to him than it looked last time he was there. They are doing a good, in fact, an excellent early job of selling Columbia, South Carolina to folks. And this is what you have to do. You got to sell experience. You don't have a product right now to sell. You don't have the trophy case to sell. A lot of the history that you and I may view is just a little while ago, you know, 2010, 11, 12. It's not just a little while ago. If you're 16 years old, you were a child when that stuff was happening. And you were barely old enough in some cases, if you're in high school right now, you're barely old enough to remember the Jadavion Clowney years, the, the, the Lattimore years. Like you don't, you don't remember that nearly as fondly as we do. You got to sell Columbia, and they've done a really good job of it. If you haven't been to Columbia lately, don't tell me. I went to a game there in 2002. I know what Columbia is like. No, you don't. Different town, totally different town. And they're doing a really good job of exclamating that point to recruits as much as they can. You got to get kids on campus. That's another part of lifting the dead period, and that's going to help them. The game day experience at South Carolina and the culture at South Carolina, the reason you got to get kids on campus is because if you're ever there, I've been there for big games. I've been there at field level, on the field, on the sideline when they've beaten Georgia. I've been on the sideline for that Alabama game a couple years ago. Phenomenal. If you closed your eyes and I told you, hey, what's this LSU game at Death Valley like? What's this Alabama game at Bryant-Denny like? You'd say, man, it sounds really loud in here. And then I'd say, open your eyes. This is Williams-Brice Stadium. Sandstorm, they don't play that at LSU. It's an incredible environment. A lot of people don't know about it because you haven't been able to get a lot of the elite recruits in the country in there. Recruits, short for recruits. Got to get them in there. And so they got a lot to sell. There is a lot there. You just got to be able to harness it and capitalize on it. What was the Tom Hanks reference that I was making? Well, I want you to go to Castaway. Planes crashed. 
in the middle of the Pacific, and then you wash ashore. And what is the first thing that you're doing? Well, the first thing you're doing is you're trying to, you know, SOS with your flashlight. But the second thing you're doing, once you realize it's going to be an extended stay here on this island, is we got to make fire. We got to have a way to cook. We got to have a way to stay warm. You remember watching Tom Hanks try to build that fire and how he rubbed those sticks together and rubbed his hands raw and, and busted his blisters open and looked like it was never going to happen. That will be the South Carolina job for Shane Beamer in the immediacy and in the uh, short to midterm future. Hopefully, and this is the big if, this is the big unknown, this is looking over the horizon, if they can finally get that spark. Tom Hanks got it. He finally got it. You remember how that went? It wasn't a little spark for long. It all of a sudden became, oh, I have created fire. And you got fire. And then it's just there. And you build a big bonfire and, and all's well. Okay, at that point, it's kind of like Dabo and Clemson. They're tired of hearing this comparison to South Carolina for obvious reasons. But that's how it was for Dabo. He rubbed those sticks together for a long time. Yeah, they were winning in the ACC. But then they get wrecked by Florida State. And then they get wrecked in the Orange Bowl. And they thought they had arrived a couple of times before they really arrived. Will South Carolina arrive under Shane Beamer? I'm going to tell you this. He's got all the ingredients there, whether the rest of the country realizes it or not, to make it happen. Rub those sticks together and keep rubbing them and keep rubbing them and keep rubbing them. All you need is the spark. You'll get the fire after that. Let's roll on. Let's wrap up the show, as a matter of fact, and let's bring back the Mood Tracker, which has been a phenomenally successful series for us. How about the Penn State Mood Tracker on this fine evening? Hiding in plain sight is the mood that I have given to the Penn State fan base. Now, I'm going to say something, but I really have to qualify it. So you know how sometimes if you're at a family reunion, you, know, you, can, you can bust each other's chops all you want to. There is a way that you can talk to family that you would never allow an outsider to talk about family. And so that's kind of the way Penn State is right now. If, if you're amongst each other, if I'm embedding myself into the Penn State fan base for the next few minutes, we know where the holes are. We know how perilous, perilously, yeah. We know how perilously thin the linebacker situation is. Uh, safety doesn't look much better. We understand the limitations that we've seen at quarterback. We haven't gotten that figured out yet. We got a new coordinator coming in. Hopefully that solves that. We understand all that. And we're fine talking to each other about that. What we're not willing to do is listen to an outsider talk about how Penn State's an afterthought. Penn State's not an afterthought. You just have to properly contextualize 2020. That's all you have to do. And so if I'm listening to an outsider, and this is why I say it's hiding in plain sight, Penn State hasn't gone anywhere. Penn State was one of those programs that we've spoken about many times, even on this very show, that was disproportionately impacted by COVID and not just, not just the pandemic, but what it did for programs that had a bunch of new pieces that they had to sort out and then they had spring snatched from them. It's really that simple. There's no reason to overthink the room here because if you're going to sell me on the idea, uh, the false idea at that, that 2020 is the real Penn State, you're trying to sell me on the idea that James Franklin and a lot of proven commodities at Penn State forgot how to run the caliber program that they had run the previous four years where they were averaging a double-digit win season. It's stupid. It's not just ignorant. Like That's outright stupidity. And so when I look at the crystal ball, let's say, for Penn State, I think it's a lot more likely in time that they operate at the level that we saw prior to 2020 than the one we saw in 2020. But I want to note when I'm saying these things, it extends beyond just 2021. This is not necessarily a 2021 prediction segment. The ceiling on this particular season, and the reason I'm so guarded in the language I'm using, is because I've seen those spring depth charts. I've looked at and listened to a lot of the rumblings and whispers coming out of Penn State. It, it's concerning. 
to look at certain levels of that defense and to ask ourselves, what's the ceiling? Like if, if, if we don't attack the transfer portal, if, if we don't close our eyes and take a nap and wake up and have things look a lot different by the time we get to fall camp, then these current depth projections have us looking at places like linebacker and safety. We can't win 10 games this year. It's just not going to happen. There are going to be too many teams capable of exploiting us through the air. And listen, defensive end has a lot to be figured out on that front as well. So th- there are areas on this team, obviously, where there are glaring holes. And I'll get back to you know how that just leads to James Franklin, again, having to prove himself in just a second. But great staffs find ways to fill holes. And it's not just transfer portal. I, you know, I'll circle back around to it now. This is where you find out how good a coaching staff you really have. I think I know. I think I know that Penn State's got a really good coaching staff. I think a lot of times they're, they're falsely held to the standard of, of excellence that a place like Alabama has. No one's meeting that. But look at the next tier. You know, look at what Penn State's done over the past four or five years. Count 2020 if you want to. Discredit it if you want to. I don't care. They've proven themselves. This isn't a new coaching staff. They're not unknown commodities. But here's what you have to do. This is not the NFL. In the NFL, players are who they are largely, and you look at them as pieces or commodities, and they're puzzle pieces. And so on a puzzle piece, it's not hazy. You know what's on the puzzle piece. Either it fits or it doesn't. This is college. It's a developmental sport. But this is the most critical level in this sport of development, at least on the broad stage. Penn State's got to develop. Like, we can't just look at the linebacker and safety positions, for example, and say, oh, got to hit up the portal. Develop the guys you have. You're not going to make them into all-American players, but develop them to where they're not going to cost you football games. They don't have to win you games. Hopefully, Tom Yursich and Sean Clifford and that offense, hopefully you can find a way for offense to win you games. you got to be able to develop enough where your defense doesn't lose you games. And so I think Penn State's hiding in plain sight because I think this team's a lot closer to being the caliber that it takes to be a New Year Six Bowl contender. Big Ten contender, got a little ways to go to catch up to Ohio State. Grant that. But you can be behind Ohio State and still be a really, really solid program. That's where I think Penn State is right now. That's why I think it's a fair mood to just think that you're hiding in plain sight. It's like everyone's looking around you and past you and we're right here. Well, we haven't really gone anywhere. I mean, unless you've been fooled by 2020. And yeah, we may have some, we may have some bumps on our road this year, but we're, we're pretty good, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we're still pretty good. So you don't have to second guess yourself. You can have a lot of pride in this program and rest assured that there are still bright days ahead. I particularly am looking forward to this year and finding out what they are able to do defensively, whether they hit the transfer portal or not. You're going to find out a lot about this coaching staff's ability to develop. Because there's a lot of chicken salad that needs to be made, and I'm not so sure what the ingredients are there, to put it in the kindest college football terms that I can. So that's the Mood Tracker for Penn State, and that is our show tonight. We appreciate you taking time to watch, even in the middle of March Madness. Feel free to go watch some basketball, but also make sure you're subscribing to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Also, again, trying to get to that 2K mark over on Instagram, at Josh. Find me there. Looking forward to... Obviously, a lot more spring ball to talk about, and we just keep counting down. There's the hourglass right off stage. The sand, still a lot of it, and the top half slowly trickling down. We will eventually get to a college football season. Until then, for Director Emeritus Collin and the entire crew in Connecticut, I'm Josh Bate. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless.